the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, episode 59. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing all right. Doing all right. I had a really wonky... um, a wonky week last week. I reached out to um, our Unruffled tribe members on Facebook um, about flying and anxiety and like I had this all figured out, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did. I was doing all the tools. I went to go see my mom last week um, for a couple of appointments. And I, I really felt on top of my game, Sandra. I really felt like I was meditating. I was doing the essential oils when needed and taking my rescue remedy and doing my gratitude lists every morning, stop sharing them on social media. I've only been doing them for our gratitude circle. And um, I felt, took naps while I was at my mom's, ate really well, <laughs> like all of these things, all the tools. And when I was on my flight home um, late Thursday night, I had a panic attack on the airplane oh. and couldn't breathe. And I thought I was going to die, actually. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what crossed my mind. And, um, you know, I didn't want to share about this on social media because um, I, I was trying to adopt the grace over drama, right? Grace over drama. This is pretty dramatic. But it just was, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I thought, well, I talk about all these other things. Um, so I went to our secret Facebook group a couple nights ago and just shared um, what had happened on the on the Unruffled podcast Facebook page because those were the same ladies that I told, like, I'm traveling, I'm doing this, I'm using all the tools. And um, my body, uh, what's the saying? It kept the score. Like, the body, right. my body was keeping all of the stress that I've been undergoing, which I have been feeling mounting and I knew was kind of coming. And I, even though I thought I was addressing it, clearly, clearly not addressing it enough. So I I got off the plane and and they took me to the ER and um, yeah my blood pressure was really high about one eighty over a hundred and that was a humbling experience and really scary and I, you've had one before so yes you know or a horrible one just like uh, that you talked to me you talked to me last Friday you helped me so much just by your me too you know and mm-hmm. understanding because I didn't know what that was like I knew it. I've had anxiety attacks before that have kind of manifested in my body physically, like numbness and tingling and throat closure, but never where I uh, couldn't breathe and, yeah, and had thoughts of, like, I have got to get off this plane, like, right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I laid low for a couple of days. I took a really expensive Uber ride home, and... um our friend Natalie offered to come and pick me up. I'm like, no, 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 I I can't wait for anything. Mm-hmm. I need to get home. <laughs> yeah. So I got in the car with a stranger and let him drive me the 75 miles home. And uh, my husband was out playing poker. And 
I got home and took a shower and I just sobbed in the shower and uh, mm-hmm. kind of kept myself in bed for the next couple of days. And, and just now I'm just kind of slowly coming out of it and trying to think about how to change some things so maybe that doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, they're frightening, frightening. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I had mine when I was drinking heavily, oh. but um, but yeah, it definitely snaps you into reality. Like, holy cow, that mm-hmm. felt like I was close to dying, and yeah. I obviously need to take better care of myself. Well, you had suggested to me, um, again, Friday was, I, I did, I did go to the doctor on Friday to get my blood pressure cause I, I needed to know I was okay for the weekend. And, um, I'd called you after that. Um, but you had talked about like just, uh, what is it called? Um, an integrative specialist, maybe going, mm-hmm. yeah, getting some tests run and, um, I have a hormone f- panel yeah. and yeah. So I'm going to, I'm scheduled to talk to my doctor today and going to talk about all of that and uh just see what's going on because I do have high blood pressure and you know having all of these feelings Sandra is what I felt at the end of my drinking the anxiety attacks not a mm-hmm. panic attack but the high blood pressure the shortness of breath the heart palpitations the 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 racing heart in the middle of the night the night sweats um you know there's so many things physically going on with me at the end of my drinking um, and that we eventually figured out I had high blood pressure, and so they put me on some medication. But that wasn't the problem. <laughs> I mean, that might have been part of the problem. or But the problem was that I was drinking like I was drinking and not telling my doctor. And so I've been on the medication for three, four years. And um, I don't know that I want to take a pill. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. You know? I don't want to keep taking a pill for the rest of my life. Well, and if you work with an integrative doctor... They can definitely point you to other more holistic modalities Mm. um, that will most likely help you control your, you know, help you control your blood pressure. Yeah. And I just, I think. Those things that lead up to a panic attack. Well, I think, I don't know. I just felt (laughs) the reason I shared in our Facebook group is because last, last week's episode, you know, I'm just talking about health and therapy and things are so good. (laughs) And it turned on a dime, you know, Mm -hmm. after we recorded that episode that day, I had a really large anxiety attack and, um, kind of flipped out at my therapist office. It's when the day I was going to break up with her. Well, that didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) She called me and she's like, I need to see you tomorrow. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, let me look at my calendar. She's like, I'm really worried about you. And I was like, why is she? Okay. I thought she was being dramatic, but it's like, almost like I couldn't see what was happening. I I kind of could. It was like cloudy. Mm -hmm. Even, even now Mm -hmm. I'm still kind of pulling it apart and, um, I need more time to think about it. But, um, I just, I really, I, you don't know how much better you made me feel (laughs) and I could just come home and rest and just. Just to know that you felt that way, too, is helpful. Well, yeah. I mean, with so many of these things, panic attacks, hormonal stuff, all of that, it's so, it's kind of crazy making. Like, you think, am I nuts? Am I losing my mind? Um, It's until somebody reaches out their hand and says, oh, honey, I've totally been there. I've 
it's t- it happened to me. Yeah. Um, you know, happen the same with in sobriety. You know, the th- same thing happens in recovery all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, that is the most helpful thing that anyone can do for anyone. I think is just um, is you know to be able to relate to an experience. Uh, I mean, you know, it's one thing to hold the space and have compassion for someone, but just to have somebody else share that they've had the same experience, it's just, there's just, it's invaluable. Yeah. And I should know that from recovery. So yeah, you, to be seen and heard, it's, it's the magic and that's, that's what you did. And I could, I could kind of, and I think also just knowing that my blood pressure was down, you know. I think, you know, they really freaked me out when they said I could have had a heart attack. And I was like, oh, okay. But you didn't. And I'm like, right. So that's what could have happened. Like, I just was thinking they were just numbers and like, oh, that's high. I don't think I connected it to like what could have. And I don't know. The whole thing's just been a kind of <laughs> enlightening as 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 hard and bad things are sometimes, you know, or, or, or uh, difficult situations. I can, it's it's been good too. Yeah. So thank you is what I want to say. And our listeners were all so kind. I I did a little video in our, in our secret Facebook group and it felt like the place to share it since they had been kind of uh, along with the journey I was sharing of going and flying and how I have anxiety and then to have that happen. And then I thought, well, I have to share that, that that happened because otherwise it's only part of the story. Right. Right. And I just wanted to be transparent with our listeners because I really appreciate them and everyone that's in that group. Um, really helpful. Um, so that is that. And, um, I'm slowing it down. Yeah. (laughs) Slowing it down. Um, do you have anything like better news, different news, Um, not panic attack news? (laughs) Panic attacks, no panic attacks. You know, my, uh, card, you know, we, we did the year ahead spread with our tarot cards and, my card for May is the card uh, Temperance, which is interesting. Um, mm. I haven't like been meaning like intentionally practicing uh, Temperance, but um, on just reflection of my month, um, I have actually been practicing that. I've tried to. Uh, I am really busy right now. I'm trying to get ready for the workshop that I'm having on June 2nd and I'm, we're doing a little, we're having a little retail. There's going to be a little retail experience. Um, so I'm trying to have, uh, inventory for that. So I am very busy, but I'm trying to, um, temperate that. Did I say that right? Temper that? (laughs) Temper? Temper that. Yeah. for that thank you mm-hmm. um with uh you know as balanced as we could possibly get right mm-hmm. I mean balance is elusive I think but I have been you know went for a swim the other day I've just been trying to trying to stay um trying to meditate and exercise when I can and um just so that I don't have a panic attack mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I don't lose my mind or Mm -hmm. yeah so um that's a lot of work yeah so that's that's it nothing too exciting but since I did mention the women's circle um workshop that we're having I do want to 
mention it again. I have mentioned it a few times in the last couple of podcasts, but in case you missed it, I'm going to miss uh, mention it once again. Um, go to my website, theunruffled.com. If you click on the top bar, you can get all the information there about it. But it's going to be on June 2nd, Saturday, June 2nd from 9 to 2 in Garfield, Texas, which is just right outside of Austin. Um, I'm co-hosting this with Sarah Andrews and Sasha Corellis. And it's going to be a day of, of yoga and art, and we're going to make malas. Um, it's uh, just going to be a wonderful place to uh, connect and meet new friends and reflect and restore. And um, we are going to provide, oh, we're going to provide some snacks and drinks. You may want to bring uh, a light lunch. All the info is on my site, though. But you're coming and mm-hmm. Natalie's coming. And I uh, can't wait. Oh. So excited. I'm excited about the workshop. I'm a little nervous about the flying. So I'm going to figure that oh. out. That's mm-hmm. what I'm working but with my have, doctor. You're flying with Natalie, though, right? Flying with Natalie and Sasha. Yeah. So, um, they've, uh, uh, I'm sure that will be fine, but it's not, it's just like my body. <laughs> I don't trust it right, right now. <laughs> I know. I don't trust it. So yeah, I, I, again, and just, I was not nervous or anything on the flight. I was listening to a podcast and had essential oils on. Like I thought I had it all dialed in, but right. um, so I'm hoping that by being with them will be hilarious mm-hmm. and lighthearted. <laughs> You know what you need is you need one of those little fans that you are, those little handheld fans and you could just like put it in your face. Maybe even with the ones that's attached to water and it could be like a little mister. Oh, maybe Natalie can do that for me on one side and maybe, I don't know, Sasha can maybe peel some grapes. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll put them to work. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they'd love it. They would just love it. To be of service to me in that way. Um, no, there's such yeah that that will that will help everything. Yes, of course. Um, um, do you have anything else to share? Because I was going to share a couple things. No, go ahead. You're good. Um, I have in light of all of this happening, I um, I decided I'm I'm done with all the art for my art show. What is done is done. I'm not. Oh, you're finished. Well, I'm done. Oh, good. <laughs> So, um, my professor, my professor told me that she's like, it's done when you say it's done. True. So, um, I can, I cannot emotionally put myself into the work anymore. I need to pause, especially in light of what's just happened. So, um, a couple paintings may or may not go on the show. They might just go as is, um, to show process maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and everything else is what it is. (laughs) So I think I have about 14 paintings, yeah. I'm no painter, but I know painters, and you can overwork things Mm. to death, so... True. um, Maybe you're making, you know, this is, this is, they're done. Yeah. Because you said they're done. Yeah. My professor always says, like, it's a call and response, and every time I make that mark, you know, I have to respond to it, and I think I have to respond to what just happened to me. And my response is, this is good. This is good enough. I've poured everything into this for the last 16, 17 weeks. So um, it is done. Right. And I'm just starting to organize yeah. and package things and put things where they need to go and make space at home. But 
Um, it feels good to be done. So my show is not just my show. It is a show that I am doing with an, a fellow sober sister named Gail Cooper. And she does all kinds of different mediums of art, which is just really beautiful. So the info on the show is on my website under events. So TammySolace.com under events. And I know people can't come out and see it that don't live nearby, but it is called The Art of Recovery. And kind of like that She Recovers um, tagline if we're all recovering from something. So we're hoping to bring all kinds of different people to the show, not just people who are recovering from alcohol. Mm-hmm. And her works are beautiful. She's doing soft pastels and she makes the frames too, which is a whole nother art form. Oh, um, I love that. She's just super talented. She does every kind of medium and something she doesn't even know how to do. And she's like, oh, I'm going to teach myself how to do this and have a show. Like, so mm. she is amazing. She's amazing. Wow. So the opening reception is June 8th um, at oh, Lawson Galleries in Guerneville. Yeah, um, so uh, some of our friends, Gloria, and some of her book club, Sober Book Club, are coming up to, we're also doing a women's circle in Santa Rosa uh, with Sasha Corellis and with Natalie Fairbrook. And they're going to come to that event at Soul Yoga on June 16th, and then we're all going to go over to my show and have dinner. And I'm like, it's like going to be a full day. So um, I will share more about my circle in a future episode because I want people to get signed up and and do yours. Um, But you can find information on my website for that, and I'll share it on social media. So that's us just pimping ourselves out. Look at us. Yeah. We're doing things. (laughs) All right. Well, we should should share about um, who's coming on the pod. Um, Our. Our host, our, our guest is doing things as well. <laughs> yeah. So we found um, Kate uh, Rusciano from an article that she wrote that was published in the Elephant Journal that kind of went viral. And, um, well, at least in our sober community, it, it, um, it went viral. And it is entitled, I wasn't a problem drinker, but spontaneous sobriety still saved my life. Yeah, it was so good. It was so good. Mm-hmm. If you um, didn't get to read it when it was making the rounds we definitely encourage you to go back and read it we'll provide a link in the show notes to that um but kate uh, rusciano is a content marketing manager for a health it firm by day and a freelance copywriter creative writer and aspiring author by night and weekends um she loves yoga saturday night live and the joy of the zero hangover lifestyle she lives in St. Paul, Minnesota with her husband, St. Patrick. I love that. <laughs> and their three daughters. Um, you can follow her story at shelastic.com. That's S-H-E-L-A-S-T-I-C.com. And then she's over on Instagram at shelastic underscore stories. Yeah, and, and she was a delight to talk to and just kind of her fresh perspective on, um, you know, her decision to quit drinking. And I don't know, it was just a night, it was just a beautiful conversation. And at the very end of our of our chat, I just wanted to mention, she gives a tool in her toolbox that she said the wrong website for. And so we wanted to make sure that you knew that um, there's a grounding tool that she talked about by Emily Hall. And to learn more about that, you can go to emilyhalllistening.com and uh, I think that's I think that's it I think that's it we've chatted long we We just like to chat (laughs) (laughs) we hope that you guys enjoy Kate good morning Kate 
Good morning, ladies. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Aww. We're so happy to have you, Kate. Where in the country are you exactly? Because I don't think I even know. Sure. I'm in the Twin Cities. I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, okay. So it's like winter there still, right? It's perpetual winter. <laughs> never ending. I'm looking at a beautiful sunny day, but, you know, maybe a foot of snow yet in April. Oh my, my goodness. told me that last year I was wearing shorts at this time which was probably ill-advised, but the point being, it was warmer, so we are ready for spring here, like, beyond ready. Oh, I bet. What's warmer to you to be wearing shorts in Minnesota in April? What would be warmer? What does that look like? Well, we bust out the shorts probably at the 50-degree mark. Okay, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Okay. We wait I... no time. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's going to be, well, I'm in Austin, Texas. I think most of our listeners know that by now. But it's going to get up to the 80s today. So, like, I could go swimming in the springs, really, if I if I felt like it. This um, is not a way to make her feel happy to be on the podcast know, right I'm now. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to rub it in your face. It's just so remarkable to me, the difference that, you know, I don't know. We're in, in the same country here, but yet it's like worlds apart. It's so interesting to you know, me. I was in D.C. last week for work, and I just made my colleague just drive me through the monuments for the cherry blossoms, and I had my head out the window like a dog, <laughs> just trying to soak it up. Uh, before oh, cherry back. blossoms. Uh, so beautiful. Yeah. Well, Kate, just, you know, I just want to tell our listeners how we found you. Um, we're, we talked about it in the intro, too, but we found you from an article that you wrote um, for the Elephant Journal called um, I Wasn't a Problem Drinker, but Spontaneous Sobriety Still Saved My Life. It was so good. It went, I don't know, did it go viral, viral, or it, did it go viral in just like the sober community? I never know these things. I'm not sure. You know, it looks like maybe about 20,000 people read it and maybe a couple thousand shared it. I don't think that really qualifies as viral. It did far better than I thought it would do. I mean, I think it, it made a, it made a bit of a splash for my first thing. For your first thing. Yeah. 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 I'm always fascinated by that. Well, Kate, why don't you tell us then how you came to sobriety and maybe touch on on that term spontaneous sobriety? Because I don't know if you made it up or whatever, but but I liked it. Yeah, I think that term resonates with a lot of people. Um, I came to, I, and I don't even call it sobriety. I, I feel like there's a bit of a minefield with regard to terminology, and I feel like a lot of folks have different meanings and labels attached to different terms. Um, for instance, when I used the word sober in my first couple months of non-drinking, for a lot of people that meant that I had been to AA and that I was in recovery, right? which is not true to my story yet anyways um so i came to giving up alcohol over many many years of suffering frankly um suffering sort of dressed up as pleasure like i said in my article um and that cognitive dissidence over many years in terms of what i really wanted to be versus who i was actually being um and approaching 40 i think uh i turned 40 this coming august so i think um that milestone is a time that many of us take a look and um, make some decisions about how we want to feel for this, you know, the next, in my, in my highest hopes, the next two thirds of our life anyways. Right. Feel who we want to be, how we want to show up, what we want to make. Um, so combination of uh, just 
physical, emotional, mental suffering from drinking for 20 years and an approaching milestone in my life that made me reevaluate. Yeah, so it's that um, kind of like this marker. Like I know that turning 40 can be this thing for um, people. I mean, it's kind of a joke in our culture, you know, over the hill. And and I've I've said before that I didn't resonate with that when I was 40 because I, you know, had like 17 parties for myself. But... <laughs> I don't feel like that because I wasn't really feeling a whole bunch, but it does, it does give you a moment to pause. So mine didn't happen at 40, but mine happened at 43. And so it's kind of like we talk on the show about this midlife solution that we end up finding, you know, that Sandra's coined that phrase. And it's just so, um, it's timely and needed and necessary. And I guess I'm really glad to get older because I'm glad that we're examining these things. And I'm, I'm glad that you were thinking about that too, approaching 40. Absolutely. Um, and I think that I believe it was Glennon Melton who posted maybe just in the last week or so, like the first 40 years of childhood are the hardest or something. Right. <laughs> and I love that because I, do, I know like, I've I shared a meme of that before. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it makes sense to me. I don't I don't feel like a grown up. I don't feel like I have anything figured out. Um, I feel like a teenager in many ways, an adolescent. Um <laughs> And oh, I, I understand bloomers, this. <laughs> late bloomers here, too. Totally. Okay, yeah. Right. And I, you know, I had, in my case, um, two Christmases ago, I, I had what I can only label as a spiritual awakening. There was some very interesting things that are probably a different podcast for a different day that happened that sort of changed me energetically that were wonderful. And that really, if I'm being honest, that is what gave me the springboard to let go of drinking because I just felt different about my life, about myself. And I certainly felt that different about drinking. So I was able to let it go that way. Okay. Hold on. Well, I'll back it up. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna, yeah. <laughs> this is the podcast. Not, Let's do it. Skip over that. <laughs> what kind right. of spiritual so awakening? In your, in your, in your article, you wrote about, you know, how you did have good memories that you were, that were booze fueled, but then you went on to describe that there was some kind of emptiness that sort of creeped in. Um, I, I definitely experienced that too, but I didn't recognize that it was a connection piece like you did and that it was alcohol's fault. I just thought that I needed to drink better or drink differently or, you know, like I just thought, I mean, alcohol was just so essential to any of my good times. Do you, so was it one incident that happened or was it like a slow dawning for you? It was a slow, my drinking was a slow death. It was probably from my mid thirties up to last August where I was like, you know, it's like going to a vending machine and you're hitting that same button and, and, and that spot in that vending machine is open yet. You keep plugging that machine with money and you keep cranking on that button and you're not getting your treat, you know, it's, um, it just wasn't fun anymore. I, I hate to, you know, use such simple terminology, but it just wasn't fun anymore. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I'm all about enjoyment and pleasure and fun. A lot of us who drank too much are uh, pleasure seekers. Um, So it just wasn't, it just wasn't fun anymore. It didn't feel good anymore. I had all the hangover the next day, but none of the release or the delightful warmth um, or any of that. I couldn't even feel drinking. By the time I quit, I couldn't even feel it. 
Yeah, I recognize that. That that makes sense. Um, I also know you, you said um, in your article that you don't use the word alcoholic or the word recovery, sober. You're not, and you just said earlier that no labels. So do you feel like that puts people in a box or do you feel like, or not people, you, that, put, that would put you in a box? I think for me, it's just more that I'm so new to this landscape mm-hmm. and this life and the body of work that's available to us who are seeking something more truthful. Yeah. Um, so it's more an indication of my lack of knowledge and experience than it is about me making a judgment about those terms. I, I don't, I don't presume to know the implications that come with those things yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel right about calling myself those things. And I, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I do also worry that a lot of negative connotation comes with a term like alcoholic, which I'm told is like not even a term that like mental health or healthcare, they don't, they don't really use that term even. I'm not even sure where it came from, but for me, mostly it's about, I'm new to this. I don't know the road that people have traveled. I don't know what these terms mean to different people. So I'm not going to presume anything because I'm a babe in the woods when it comes to non-drinking. So Mm, yeah. Sounds like you're really wide open. Very much so. So then let's circle back a little bit, um, the spontaneous sobriety term, because I'd never heard that term before. And neither had I. Yeah. So I bought that from Annie Grace, her book, This Naked Mind. Oh, okay. The component to um, my letting go of drinking. I listened to it on audiobook after I had quit drinking. Um, But... Yes, that's not a term that I made up. <laughs> I wish I could take credit for it because I think it's very powerful. Yeah, I clicked on okay. I clicked on the link um, from your article um, just to see what how she defined it. Just and I just wanted to share it for our listeners, just so because that is such a I think it's a powerful term, um, and I think it really st- um, perks my ears up when I heard it. You know, like spontaneous sobriety. What's that all about? And so, just very succinctly, she said that it. It might sound funny, but it seem it, it means recovering from alcohol dependency without any formal treatment. And and she goes on to just explain too that if it was only as easy as you know changing our behavior, it's you know it's not it's not easy. Um, spontaneous sobriety is about changing our very thoughts and beliefs when it comes to alcohol. And it sounds like that's kind of what resonated with with uh, your story once I read it, and it was like I, I like that. Absolutely. I think beliefs are so powerful. I think they're everything. Um, We can change behaviors with willpower for a certain time period. And when willpower runs out. Right. Because it's not sustainable. Right. Because you're at odds with yourself. You're not with your with your core beliefs about a certain behavior. Um, So once, like I said in my article, once my beliefs about alcohol changed, which the, the work of changing my beliefs about alcohol took years but the day that I quit was the easiest thing in the world. It was relief. It was completion. Mm-hmm. It was freedom. But I'll, I did a lot of work leading up to that. And I know that um, probably a lot of people who have quit drinking look back and see how hard they've been working at it for years without even realizing it a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I experienced that same kind of feeling. And I've talked about it before on this podcast, probably, I don't know, too many times. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, since this is our first chat. Um, I I did the same thing. I, w- I went in thinking, I'm going to quit drinking for a year because I had tried everything. I was exhausted from trying to keep alcohol in my life. And I was going to you know, I made a deal with myself. It's written in my journal in my day one where I made a deal with myself and said, I'm, 
I can do anything for a year. And just changing my thinking around that one little piece of it, I felt so much relief. And I didn't grieve the loss of it. And because I thought, you know what? If things don't get better after a year, I can go back to drinking. And, you know, three months in, I felt like my entire life had changed. But um, I, I experienced the same thing. I experienced relief as well. Not everyone does. Right, right. I think the, the, those of us who do are very fortunate to have that feeling. I think a lot of people feel like there's been a death. And I certainly, um, I certainly mourned, you know, my old life in different ways. I've never really craved alcohol since then, but th there is um, a void uh, mm -hmm. left. And you do mourn how easy it was to feel good back in the day. And of course, it's rose colored in retrospect, I think. But um, yeah, I think sometimes for me, I just go back to all the bad, you know, and I just kind of simmer. That's kind of what I'm doing right now with this project I'm working on and going back to the landscape of my drinking. And and I and I forget and not that I mean to promote this, but, you know, I forget there were really good times um, sometimes you know, but towards the end, it just, it wasn't. And I think I kind of have to keep staying in that place of reminding me how bad it was so that I don't try to fool myself into thinking that, you know, I got this handled now. I can totally go back and do this. I can be a moderate drinker because I think Annie Grace, I used one of her quotes for a long time as a mantra. Um, you know, there's this mental anguish of moderation. I don't want that. There's so much anguish in it. There's so much anguish in trying to moderate. And I did that for so long. Did you try to moderate your drinking before you quit? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I agree. Moderation is like so much work. <laughs> yeah. So much energy. Um, and I, you know, I liken it to dieting. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. you're just never comfortable. It's, it's all you think about. It's all yeah. you and all your yeah. energy goes to making the quote-unquote right choice minute to minute. And I just think that if we can reframe it as freedom, freedom, <laughs> yeah, it's just we freedom on the way, you know, even a year long sobriety experiment, I look at it as an adventure. I had a friend write to me just yesterday and say, man, I'm ready to try this. And I said, off you go on your adventure. Stay curious, be experimental. There is no punishment and no shame because frankly, fuck all that. Yeah. That doesn't get us anywhere. Well, it's a, it's a nice entry. We drank about in the first place, right? So it, it's a totally different way to approach it, right? right? I mean, yeah, because a lot of us come to this really shameful and really um, at our worst. And, um, and not to say that it's all, you know, unicorns and butterflies and all of that, but it just, um, it depends how you, how you come to this place and we all come to it so differently. Um, I wanted to say about moderation. I, I had a thing click for me, um, when I was working my, um, sixth step, cause I do the 12 step program and I had to write about, uh, procrastination and because it's one of the things that I do the most. And I was driving home one day and I was thinking about Annie Grace's words, you know, the mental anguish of moderation. And I, I was like, oh, it's the same thing. Procrastination is the same thing as moderation. I get the same feeling. It takes up all this mental energy when I could just like handle something. 
you know? And I, when I had that, that kind of connection that happened for me with moderation and procrastination, I have to say I procrastinate less. I don't, I'm not, I'm not perfect in that department. But once I linked that, because I didn't want to moderate anymore, I was kind of black and white about things that really helped for the emotional, you know, you're left after you quit drinking, you're left with all these other things in your life that you need to take a look at or that kind of come up or came up for me. And that link between moderation and procrastination has been huge in my, in my own recovery and my own, you know, the way I want to live my life now since I stopped drinking. And, um, yeah, anyhow, I just, Annie Grace's work is, is fantastic. And I think what a great way in for so many people. It's so true. And I agree with you on the connection between moderation and procrastination. That makes a lot of sense. It's the idea that, you know, as soon as I accomplish A, B, and C, everything will be better. It's, it's the idea that you're not there yet. Uh, it's just, you're always in this limbo with moderation and you're never comfortable you're never, you never feel like you're aligned with who you want to be and what you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so it is just a protraction of a problem. And, um, you know, there were times where I moderated successfully. Certainly. I mean, certainly towards the end of my drinking, I was treating drinking a little bit like, you know, intuitive eating where I would pay attention to every sip of a beautiful glass of wine and pay attention to all of its details and its color and its smell and how it made me feel. And, you know, after one glass of wine in those instances, I was satisfied and I didn't drink anymore. Um, But, you know, those were the minority of instances. I generally drank more than I would have liked. Um, And it was just a lot of work and a lot of anguish, like you said, and like Annie Grace says. And, you know, part of the power of her book is, hey, you could, like you said, you can always go back, you know, you can always go back. You know what, if your life was better and you really figure out that you felt better and your life was better as a drinker, you can always go back. It's, it's always available to you. Let's just try this. Let's just try this. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that was exactly my mindset as well. Of course it's was never, it was not better, (laughs) especially at the end of my drinking. It was never better than it, than it is now. So that's the part I always have to remind myself of. Yeah. Whenever I, start getting romantic about it. Um, so you mentioned in your, in your essay that, you know, that now you've realized that there were things that, you know, emotions and, and all of the things associated with that, that you tamped down with alcohol. And now you're having to address those things because alcohol is a, was a, you know, was our medicine. It was a coping, it was a coping mechanism. It was, you know, the the way we we dealt with our things in our lives that we couldn't tolerate. Right. So how is that? How is that um, helping? Or how are you helping yourself with those things now? Right. Well, first, I want to say that. I was in the pink cloud for like a hot minute. Have you guys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Because I had back to back business travel. So here I am a new non drinker feeling so good. My skin, like my friend Mary says, was glowing like the sun. (laughs) Felt like I had the world by the balls. I had a work trip to Boston. So I'm traipsing through Boston and just feeling like on top of the world. And that was wonderful. And I had the pink cloud for maybe the first couple of months and then right around christmas right before christmas of this year i got really depressed i mean 
I suppose it's mild to moderate, but I, I, I hit a dark patch and I don't know if it was because it was my first holidays as a non-drinker. I certainly didn't feel deprived. It was not about willpower. Like I said, I don't have willpower this go around. That's not part of it, but I just want to be really honest about the fact that this has also sucked. Like I said in my article, Mm -hmm. life is much better and it's also much worse. This has also really sucked a lot of the time. Uh, And I've had to just stay in the moment and stay with it and remind myself that it's temporary and that um, life is good days and bad days, Um, whether you're a drinker or not. So I just want to be really honest about the fact that this is this is hard work, but it's good work and it's essential work. And I know for sure, even on my worst days where I'm just sad and feel stuck and like a loser, um, even on my worst days, I know I'm getting somewhere. I know that I am putting myself back together piece by piece, even if it doesn't always feel that way. Well, the holidays can be super hard for sure, Kate. So I think that's a normal, I remember my first holidays and yeah, I, yeah, that's, it's just hard. It's just different. It's different. I feel like, oh, if only I could drink, I could enjoy this. It wasn't that, but Mm -hmm. you know, you never know what's running in the background in your unconscious mind. Maybe your unconscious mind is really suffering and going like, where's my glass? Where's my wine? Um, Yeah, it's a tough month. Yeah, the, the the pink cloud was was beautiful, and then the pink cloud turned to a dark grayish cloud, and and that's okay. I'm 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 only I'm eight months in as of tomorrow, Aww. and so I'm fresh to this to this new life. It's full of possibility, and it's and it's challenging. But you know what? Drinking was hard work too. Yeah, yes. a different kind of work, right? But yeah, exactly. but hard work for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the hardest work for me became just not seeing my my potential. That was like that that became the hardest thing mm-hmm. to accept every day. I loved it when you and, and when you talked about going back to that girl in 1997 that still had some fire and saying, "Hop in, we've got work to do." I I when I think about that though for too long it makes me a little sad like I think about you know all of that time and potential that I wasted oh I know it I'm getting teary even thinking about it (laughs) yeah yeah how do you how are you reconciling that now just by getting to work and forgiving yourself or yeah yeah uh I think you know in some ways we stop developing as when alcohol takes hold um like i quoted the wonderful elaine stritch who's become like my hero um <laughs> and she battled addiction or her mm-hmm. whole uh or lived with addiction her whole life um it ta- it steals who you really are so right about 19 is when i really started like doubling down on the booze and um i think that <laughs> I'm picking up where I left off in terms of figuring out what do I really love to do? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. what really brings me true authentic pleasure? What, um, what really turns me on in, in, in life? Um, because my life was built around alcohol. So I don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of things I haven't done yet that I don't even know that I enjoy. And so, uh, you know, after this nice, very long winter in Minnesota, I plan on getting out and doing new things and really relearning what, or learning in the first place, what I love to do. Cause I have no idea. Yeah. 
Well, there's a there's a void when you stop drinking, like you said earlier. I think that now what? Now what can I fill that with instead of alcohol? What am I going to fill that with? Right. And I think that's why Sandra and I started connecting when we did. Um, you know, Sandra's been creative her whole life. Um, I dabbled in things and I never could give myself permission to like fully do it because I didn't believe in myself enough to do anything. Um, I would start and not finish or I would, yeah, I would just go on. I would just always be a starter, (laughs) not a finisher. And, um, but that's what you're going to have time to do. And like, so, so putting out this essay, I mean, when you were writing that, um, did you, were you worried that it might be received a certain way or were you just ready to let this, like, to let it go out into the world? I mean, there's always these inner critics that we have in our head. I'm just curious during your writing process, what was that like when you were writing your article? Yeah. I mean, cause you're saying the title of it was, I wasn't a problem drinker, but right. spontaneous well, sobriety still saved my life. Yes. And to be fair, the headline came from my very savvy editor at um, Elephant Journal. Okay. Um, and I thought, when it first came out, I thought, well, that's a little dramatic. Can I really that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Sure got the clicks and right. Who am I to say it's not true? I don't know. Um, and I love the friction in the headline saying like, I wasn't a problem drinker. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> so I like the friction in that. I make, it makes people curious and it makes people want to do more. You know what the essay really is, is my start. What, what you all are witnessing is my beginning. Mm-hmm. I, um, feel pretty strongly that I was put on this earth to write and to tell stories. And part of the reason that I drank so heavily for so long is that I was avoiding that. Uh, Because writing is hard and writing can hurt. Uh, It's also very gratifying, but it's hard work. You've got to face yourself. And I think that was one of the things I was avoiding. You know, creativity, especially if you're particularly adept at a certain thing or a certain medium, it's kind of like not to use a super morbid visualization, but it's kind of like a gun to your head. Like if you don't use that, you suffer. If you don't use that element Mm -hmm. of yourself, it will turn on you and it will poison you. And I feel like it's kind of set up that way. Yeah. It's like what you don't bring forth can destroy you. Exactly. Yeah. Battle around in there and do all kinds of damage and really mess you up. So what you're witnessing with, the elephant journal article is my beginning it's my stepping in to what i believe is my purpose in this life which is to write it's really one of the few things that i'm particularly good at and it's what i'm here to do so really it's just me joining you all in the in the creative life at 39 years old and you know coming to your pod it made sense to me like that's what fills that void you know it's like yeah Mm -hmm. i might you know all of a sudden really love going to the theater and um I don't know, going for walks or something, but really it's my writing that's going to fill that void. And it's just so brilliant how it's kind of set up that way for artists. It's like do it or die pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, consuming things, consuming content and, and theater and art and all that, that feels good as well. But I think it only just enhances and, and kind of sparks that, that feeling of wanting to create. Absolutely. Absolutely. Feeding your inner artist and just giving you new perspectives. But um, yeah, I feel like I was running from my purpose my whole life. And I'm not sure why everyone who knows me knows that I can write and values my writing and tells tells me, you know, you've got a book, you've got a book in you. And, you know, we just don't believe it. We just don't believe it. Yeah, no. 
Yeah. It's like you have to grant yourself permission in so many ways, especially when you stop drinking. I think it's like, okay, time's up. Now what? What are you going to do about it? (laughs) You have this chance. And I think, again, age has a big thing to do with it for me. It's like I, I feel like I wasted so much time. And while I know that's all part of what led me here, and yes, there's a shadow side to yourself, like I get all that stuff. But at the end of the day, when I go to bed at night, when I wake up in the morning, there's about 42 things that I want to do. <laughs> and I there's not enough hours in the day to do all the things that I dream of doing. And so I have like a fire lit under me. And I think Sandra does too. I think we share this. And, um, and it sounds like, you know, you as well, like you, you're waking up to yourself and just saying, right. now I'm going to allow myself to do this. Right. And when you you know, and not just allow myself, but, oh God, I have to get this out. It feels like you're waiting to throw up almost almost like, oh God, I can't stand it anymore. I've been holding this article inside for how many years? Who knows? Um, So, and, and when you talk about, you know, waking up in the morning and having so many ideas, part of what I drank about was an inability to process that. So I would wake up in the morning and about a half an hour to an hour after I'm awake, I would have this wave come at me of energy, creativity, ideas, people I wanted to see, things I wanted to do, stuff I wanted to make, and it was overwhelming. And I didn't know how to process that or manage it. So it would often just crash me into the shore and then I would drink to relieve that, you know, to quiet mm-hmm. all that all that information that's coming in to quiet that down because I had no tools available at the time to see that wave come in and grab my surfboard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's now that's the beauty. That's the beauty that you're kind of clearer now, right? When you wake up? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Clearer. And when I feel that wave coming, I grab a pen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of, oh my God, just standing there. It's like you're just standing in front of a flamethrower. All that stuff <laughs> coming through your consciousness is overwhelming. And I think a lot of people drink about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or they feel about that or whatever, you know? Right. I think for me, like, I had always let myself down before, you know? Like, I I, I had always, um, I was always disappointing myself, um, breaking promises to myself, not following through with things. And, you know, based on my patterns, um, I just... I, I drank over, you know, I, I thought, well, it's, it's, that's, that's, this is, this is my lot in life. I'm an idea generator, but I can't follow through with things. And that would, that was just a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, the more I drank, the more I fulfilled that prophecy. Right. Um, you are an idea generator lady. I am. <laughs> <laughs> You are, that is for sure. I think we all have that in us, though, you know, to, for me, for, and, and it sounds like you too, Kate, like we have, it's there. It's just tapping into it. It's just allowing it. It's just saying, I'm making time for myself now. Um, because being a mom or a wife or just a woman in this world, um, we give so much to everybody else, you know, and that oxygen mask, yeah, we, we're not applying that so much to ourselves when we're drinking. It's true. It's it's crazy how we set our lives up these yeah. days with regard to the expectation on every front. It was something that I, you know, I quote Bethany Frankel. I was in, I was work traveling last week, so I got to watch Bravo, uh, which was awesome in my hotel room. And 
Frankel said something like, you know, show me a woman who owns a business, um, you know, eats well, has sex, is tan and fit, and I'll show you a freaking unicorn. Like, how do you put all these things together? And the idea is that maybe you don't. And maybe mm-hmm. that's really okay, like more than okay. Right, right. I know. I know. I've done this exercise before where you, you know, list out three things or uh, 10 things that are important to you in any given day, you know, exercise, sleep, eating right, you know, creativity, pick three, pick, just pick three for the day. And that's, that's all you're going to accomplish. Well, get real. Right. Yeah. And I think shifting from your value being less about what you do and more about who you are. Um, For me, I don't feel valuable unless I'm accomplishing something. Um, And now I focus more on, uh, I still have that. Obviously I have that sort of friction with myself that if I don't feel accomplished on a certain day, I don't feel like a valuable person, but I do focus more on God given things that have nothing to do with what I did or what Mm -hmm, I checked off in the span Mm -hmm. of a day. Um, and that just feels better to me. And it also takes the pressure off of the doing. It makes the doing much easier when it's not tied to your value as a human. Exactly. exactly. Right. Um, I was going to ask you a question, um, just about maybe your social circle too, not calling anybody out, but I was just going to share that for years that I, I didn't think I had a problem with alcohol because, you know, almost everyone I drank with drank like me. And in your essay, you said, um, and I quote, um, my drinking was more or less aligned with everyone around me. And so, end quote. Um, but if I'm honest about it, I, I still have feelings about this. Um, and I wonder, I still find myself wondering, you know, why can they drink like they drink still like I did? Why? And yet they don't have a problem, but I do. I still can't get back into my lane or my hula hoop or just that it's mine. And it's kind of crazy making when I think about it. Um, but I still do it. And so I was wondering, how do you navigate, um, social situations now where others are, are drinking like you used to, or have you had that yet? I know spring is here, but, um, I know warmer days and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, part of it is that it's a perception issue. Now that I'm out of it, Mm -hmm. Actually, people are not drinking as much. Um, It seems to me that the people that I am close to, for the most part, are very much um, aware of their drinking. They check their drinking and they're drinking a lot less. And I I don't know if that's an anomaly, but uh, I think at one point, maybe I thought, you know, everybody else can just continue drinking. But in reality, in my case, anyways, most people um, in my peer group are slow in their role, um, mm. too. So I don't feel um, out of whack with them. And then it also makes me wonder, well, did I just drink like buckets more than they did? <laughs> I think oh. it's like a confirmation bias, right? You see what you want to see. So, I mean, yeah, I you're right. A lot, a lot of times that could definitely be what it is for instance I thought you know when I and my husband and I have only been um together for a little over 10 years and when we first got together I thought he drank like me um well he did not at all and now that I 
don't drink anymore. It's very clear that he did not drink like me at all. But I was convinced that he did because that's what I wanted to see. Yeah, there's a clarity that comes after the fact. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A whole lot of clarity that comes after the fact. Yeah, I think I still have to work on that because I still, (laughs) I count everybody's drinks if I'm I'm being honest here. And I think, how come you can have four or five glasses of wine? And for me, that, you know, I don't know. I still, I struggle with that. I struggle. um, I understand about perception. And I'm sure I was hanging out with people near the end that were drinking like I was drinking, you know, but not everybody was. You're right. I was kind of just putting a blanket over that because we were hanging out, but they didn't. Yeah. I'll have to think about that some more, but I, my judge pants, you know how I like to get them on Sandra. I like to get them on, (laughs) have them real snug, real tight. Just, just, yep. mm -hmm, They're there. They're under all my clothes all the time. I think that's okay. And I think, you know, uh, for me, I had one key friendship with someone, um, my dearest girlfriend in the whole world. And we have since lost touch, uh, I'm not sure why I think life changes and, and personality, who knows? I don't know. Anyways, I drank with her. That's what we did together. Yeah. Yeah. We drank. She's no longer in my life. And that took a whole chunk of my drinking out of the game, which was great. Um, but I do know I have friends, especially since I wrote the article who have come to be saying, man, you know, in my neighborhood, especially the neighbors, Everybody goes and meets in someone's yard. People bring coolers and that's what they do, you know, in, in their, you know, late thirties, early forties and beyond. And so I do know people who are in that, in that struggle of how am I going to show up to that? You know, how am I going to show up to, to, you know, when they circle the coolers round, how am I going to show up with my Perrier and be like, I'm good and not take a whole bunch of shit for it. You are going to have a cooler full of Perrier Mm-hmm. And you're gonna be you're gonna be like, who wants? And I tell you what, all the kids are gonna want to hang out with you, <laughs> want your drinks, <laughs> um, and you're gonna be you're gonna be the the, the parent on duty that um, that's pretty present, you know, yeah. in, in a different way. And it doesn't have to be judgy that they're bad or whatever. I just mean that you'll you're just gonna show up differently. True. And I'm yeah. wondering when my judgy pants are gonna be issued. I don't have those yet. Um, <laughs> I think that people, certain people walk on eggshells around me with regard to talking about drinking or, or making sure that I know that they don't drink very much anymore, which, man, I don't care if it's still working for you, quote unquote, and you, and you're not, you know, fighting with yourself every day. Like, that's cool. Like, you know, as you were proceed, I Mm -hmm. I have no, you know, again, I'm only eight months in. I, I'm so busy evaluating what's going on with me. I'm so completely obsessed with myself. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time to look at others and go, oh, if only you saw the light. Like, that's ridiculous. I experienced the same thing, Kate. I I have a lot of of friends that want to talk to me about their drinking all the time. And, I mean, if I judge anything, I think, you know, the fact that you're asking, wanting to talk about your drinking with me, I don't know, could be a red flag for you. You know, that might be something you may want to take a look at. But, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, if it's working for you, carry the fuck on. Right, and enjoy it. And that's that's great. And you know what? Um, you know, invite me out next time you go. Because I have more fun than ever, really, out at the bar these days. It's cheaper. 
I have more energy. I leave when it gets boring rather than doubling down and becoming the fun thing <clears throat> that people stick around for because that's a lot of energy that I can put elsewhere. And, you know, also we just, we spend so much time as drinkers uh, or maybe we need to spend more time as drinkers benchmarking ourselves against other people. And it's the same thing as confirmation bias. Well, let me look across my peer group and make sure that I'm still within range. <laughs> right. So I can continue on my merry way. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right way to look at it. You have to look at it. Is this right for me? Is this working for me in my life? This is about me in my life, not not what works for somebody else. Yeah. Well, I want, I want to just clarify this since people will be listening to this. I really don't feel like I'm judging and thinking that everyone's an alcoholic or judging that, oh, you drink too much. My judgment is really for myself. I'm judging and asking the question, I think, why can why can you drink like that and I can't? Why yeah, see, why I do you get forever. to do that and I can't? That's no, really... No, that kept me drinking. That yeah. That kept me drinking for, for a 10 years past the time I was questioning it is because I was... I, was constantly throwing myself a pity party. Why on earth mm -hmm. can everybody drink and not be miserable? Why Why am I the miserable one here? Right. But and then I could just kept trying to figure it out and just to keep it in my life. But I know I don't want to drink. So the fact that I still do it, I guess that's what I'm trying to be transparent about. It's like mm -hmm. uh, recently I had a bunch of people over and I had so much anxiety and I was so pent up about it. And I really all night long was just watching and thinking, oh my God, I can't believe after three years, this is still happening, that I'm still counting how much this person is drinking, or I'm still, I'm watching the light dim on my guests from when they walked in to when they leave yep. and it hurts to watch. And then it, I guess it makes me feel like, oh my God, that was me. So again, I'm, I'm like very, maybe judgment is too strong of a word. I'm very observant. Yes. And it's it's constantly in my mind now i don't want to go i don't want to get back to where i was i don't want to moderate i don't want to have alcohol anymore like i know that yet these feelings i'm just still kind of trying to reconcile them and um i think i recently came and i shared with sandra like i me and my husband talked about it and like i'm not throwing dinner parties anymore because that was when i used to have like the total shit show um was was at the end of the night of a dinner party you know, and I think you identified with that, too, as being kind of a party planner, right? Oh, my God, I threw parties. I threw parties <laughs> on parties on parties. Yeah. Barbecues, dinner parties. I mean, any chance I could get, because I also love to cook. And that's one thing that I don't do anymore. And I have to take back my love of cooking without a half a bottle of red wine. You know? It took me a little while, Kate. It did. Because I, 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 mm -hmm, I, I love to cook as well. That. I want it back. I do want it yeah. back. Mm -hmm. That's one thing where I'm like, how will I cook all day without red wine? What's the point? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. I mean, I threw I threw parties. I'm no longer the party person. I, I, I uh, and, the, and the bummer is that nobody then moves into your spot and goes, well, you know, it's our turn. You know, we'll, we'll keep the, we'll keep friends connected and we'll throw a party. Everybody is so busy. Everybody is in the weeds with little kids and everything that comes with being a parent and everything that comes with having a career. So, you know, I moved out of that role and nobody stepped into it and that's just going to have to be okay for now. I really hope I get to have a fun dinner party again at some point in the future, but it's something that I let go as well. My friends are still having them. I'm just not invited. <laughs> uh, well, and that, the, <laughs> right. 
Right. Well, yeah. And, and that's, that's okay because you know what? I mean, sometimes you still want to be invited, even though you're, unco- I'm uncomfortable. I have anxiety about those things. You still want to be invited. And it was, there was a saying when I was throwing all my dinner parties, like you can't always be a goer. You got to be a thrower. So yeah, you're, you were throwing all the dinner parties. Somebody else has to, to take up the, um, you know, if they were only going to your dinner parties, they, right. they got to throw one every once in a while, you know? Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you would think, I mean, I would hope, but at the same time, you know, I threw those parties for me. Mm. Yes, to keep everybody connected, but mostly to put myself in the center of a loving, fun environment where I felt belonging, I felt comfort, I felt uh, community, you know, I felt family. I created a family out of my friends, really. Um, So... I threw those for me um, and everybody benefited, I hope, and everybody had a great time. And I do want to be, I still want to be invited for sure. A, I want the opportunity to decline. <laughs> right. It's kind of fun mm-hmm. to turn down a party. Nowadays, it's a novelty <laughs> to pass a bar or turn down a party. Um, uh, but also the idea that, you know, people will come to me and say, oh, uh, well, let's get together. We can do coffee or dessert or tea. They come up with every non-alcoholic scenario, which is so sweet. Yeah. That because uh, in my case again willpower is not coming into play. I don't go into a bar and go, God, that looks good. I want twelve of those. Like I just don't, which is makes me very lucky and very fortunate. Um, I recognize that, but um, you know, I'm the day that I throw a dinner party, I'm still gonna probably supply the booze or at least be refilling people's glasses because if it's still working for them, like I still want everybody to feel good and have fun and enjoy themselves. And I'm not looking at your drink going, damn, that looks good. Like, man, if you set that down, I'm going to drain it. Like, it's not like that at all. Hey, Unruffled listeners, Tammy here. Just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. If you like what you've been hearing, we're asking for a donation of just $1 per episode. $4 a month. To donate, please go to www.patreon.com backslash the Unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Have you thrown anything since you've been sober? Thrown any Uh, soirees? I really haven't. I haven't. You know, Hmm. and that's part of the mourning and the sadness that I think I have had that has set in. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing Mm -hmm. those things because of the... for me, it's it's like, well, I can't throw a dinner party because I can't drink. It's that I just don't have the energy right now. I have turned inward mm-hmm. for the first time in my whole life. For the first time in 39 years, I'm not looking to other people um, to fulfill me. Right? Yeah. Isn't that awesome feeling? It is. It's yeah. so freaking. It's so freeing and the money and the energy I used to spend getting people together. Again, it was worth it. I have no regrets, but you know, when I feel like having a dinner party, I'll throw one and it'll be, it'll be great and it'll be epic and the food will be beautiful. Um, but I just don't feel like it. So I'm honoring that. I just, I just don't feel like it and I'm certainly not going to force it. Good for you. <laughs> Cause I've been, I, I took about a year off. Um, when I quit drinking, I just didn't have the energy either. I was going inward, like you said, And I was, um, I would seven months, um, I went seven months without drinking 
and then I wanted to start drinking and people have heard this story too. So I'll be quick, but, um, that's when I started going to 12 step meetings was at the seven month mark was when I needed, because I was trying to factor in how I was going to start drinking again for the last quarter of the year because of all the holidays and things that were coming up and a friend suggested, and I gave it a try and I found a lot of relief, but I, my husband at some point was like, are we ever going to have people over again? Because I entertained on a, a very grand scale all the time, yeah. but I just couldn't do it. And for different reasons. And it sounds like you, like, I just, I knew I couldn't be around alcohol. I knew that I couldn't do that just yet. And, um, I've only recently like had a few over the last two years. And this last one, I've, I've decided to take a time out. It was too much for me. Um, so I, I think that everyone is different, obviously, but I, I like your attitude. I like your approach and I like that you're going to own it. Like whatever it is, you sounds like you're listening to yourself. True. It's even if it's painful, like I would love to feel like throwing a party. I don't feel like that. Yeah. You know, my 40th is coming up. Like I mentioned, um, if I was the me I was a year ago, it would be probably let me get together 10 of my best girlfriends and go to Nashville and just party balls in the streets for a weekend. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now let me go to a silent retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, are you making plans for your 40th? I've just started to think about what the hell do I feel like doing? I don't feel like being in my attic and yoga pants. What should I do? And I really think it's probably going to be going somewhere by myself to, you know, practice yoga and eat great food and sleep by the ocean I think that's mm-hmm. how, that's what sounds better to me right now it's crazy I'm such a stranger to myself did you guys have that like I do not know who this person is oh all the time <laughs> still to this day every day I mean I see each other like who am I I just ordered you know I just ordered maca powder. I mean, just really, like anything like that. Who am I? Who's this person? I just bought tarot cards and maca powder and uh, signed up for a yoga retreat. So I don't even know who this person is right now. Yeah. No. So it keeps happening and you keep, and it's delightful. And I just, I love it. Right. And it's surprising and it's surprising in a good way. Like, Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, I, I'm going to go to that beautiful tea shop just down the street. And I'm going to sit and have tea. And that sounds like the most wonderful thing. And I'm like, who is this woman? Who is yep. this person? Well, I'm just glad that you're honoring it. And, you know, you're you're staying in the wonderment still. And, and it's, you know, living in the unknown is exciting. Right. It, it is. For the most part, it feels very positive and it feels very exciting. But like I said, there are those days where I'm just, you feel like you're, like you died. It's almost like you die yeah, <laughs> to yourself. Yeah. And so much that you thought, like I said in my article, so much that you thought was you, so much that you thought was your identity. Right. falls away. It shrivels up and falls away, um, which feels like a loss um, sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even though the reality is that it's a rebirth, it's a taking back, it's a rediscovering, it's a remembering, it's it's everything. Sometimes, some days, it feels like you lost something yeah. that you can't get back. Yeah. And that's the work, I think, that we kind of do every day when we wake up, right? You know, you're kind of reminding yourself of either that it's a loss or that it is a rebirth. And then you're like, how am I going to handle this today? Right, right. And I think that, um, you know, as a drinker, I had maybe one or two tools in my toolbox. I had 
drinking and maybe a little bit of yoga or, mm. and, and cooking was there too in terms of things that would connect me to source and make me feel centered and calm and loved and connected and now you know when you take drinking out of the mix you got to fill the toolbox up and i'm sure you guys have discussed this at length on your show uh, so now I have a lot more tools and they're a lot more, they're, they're, they're diverse and they're more available. They're more immediate. They don't bite me in the ass the next morning. So more and better mm-hmm. tools. Right. Well, I think. Yeah, and they work and they work. And that was a big surprise for me too. It's like, it's taking a walk is going to make me feel better. And and, and, and it does. It works. It's simple and it's free and it's always available to you. Mm-hmm. Yoga was, um. Yoga was tough for me because I've been I've been doing it when I stopped and thought about it after because I always say like I'm not I'm not a person who does yoga, but that's not true. I've been doing it since I was pregnant with my son 15 years ago. I did prenatal yoga and I did yoga after that. I had a practice. But the difference besides the prenatal yoga, I always did yoga hungover in the morning and it was almost like a punishment. So when I got sober I've had a hard time saying, like, I want to do yoga. I resist the practice. I It reminds me too much of before. And so I keep practicing that, and I keep going and going with other sober ladies. So that's been really helpful. But I I, uh, I, I, I just remember yoga and being hangover, hungover was kind of like uh, partners. And so that's been a tricky one for me to kind of access. I have yeah, to I redevelop that. that relationship. Yeah, it's a strong association that that you're working on breaking. Yeah. Um, but I think that's key because yoga, oh god, yoga, it's everything. It's everything. Mm-hmm. It you know, I was I started yoga. I I've been mean, doing yoga on and off for probably 20 years, but I really I got serious about it um maybe like two and a half years ago, and that was certainly part of my runway it laid the groundwork for me to let drinking go. And I didn't even realize it at the time, but I just can't say enough about, about it. It's, it's, um, it's always available. It always welcomes you back. You know, I took a week off cause I was sick last week and you, you think, you know, cause I think we all have, or some of us have like a, like a workout mentality towards yoga. So, oh, I took a week off. Now I'm just going to, it's going to hurt and I'm going to have lost some of my strength. And this first time back to the gym, quote unquote, is going to be miserable. And yoga just does not treat me like that. I can step away from it. If I'm, if I'm treating my practice seriously and I'm going, you know, four or five times a week for an hour, I can take a week off and come back and feel even stronger than when I left. And it's just this unconditional invitation that I have found so key. I like that. I was going to ask, did you, do you have a sober community since you're not identifying with some of these labels? Does that put you, um, I don't know, does that, how are you finding sober people to hang out with or to connect with or where's that source? Well, um, I found the unruffled, which was fantastic. (laughs) The unruffled found me. I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm thrilled about it. Uh, it's been kind of magical. Every step that I've taken towards my new non-drinking life, um, universe has taken three steps. <laughs> it's been it's been really magical. So people have just shown up in my life who maybe aren't like non-drinkers, but are definitely paying attention, who definitely appreciate what I'm doing, who have either you know edited their drinking into submission or 
don't drink anymore. So people are just kind of showing up magically. Now, I also have to caveat that by saying that I don't, I'm not as social. Again, I'm eight months in. I hope my social life comes back in a way that is aligned with my truer expression of myself, but I don't socialize as much. So, um, you know, social media has been amazing. Instagram has been amazing. You know, yeah, yeah. if I'm ever feeling down uh, in, a, in a given day because of who I follow on Instagram, you know, just give me a scroll and I feel like nourished and uplifted. So, you know, yeah, it's it's yeah. both. It's social media has been absolutely key. Um, my husband is a non-drinker too. So my best friend right here in my house is a non-drinker and he's two and a half years without wow. a drink. So, That's uh, so great. Know, yeah, he's my person and my and my partner and my inspiration. And um, so I find a lot of what I need in my friendship with my husband. That's so important and not, and and so fortunate because not so it's not some so many women that don't share that story. Yes. And a lot of people have um, contacted me and said that their partner is um, in trouble with drinking. And, you know, they're they're kind of reaching out to me on the down low saying, you know, I, I think he or she might, you know, have an issue. And I, I think it's it's a problem. And I, I continued drinking after my husband quit. Um, I wasn't ready, but I do liken it to, you know, he went through the door ahead of me and then he just held it open. Hmm. I like that. Um, well, that's so key. Yep. That's so key to have a spouse that's supportive. So I'm glad you have that. I'm very lucky, and I've heard a lot of people say that it is really, really key for marriage, especially for people to be aligned with drinking or not. Right. And you have kids, right? You mentioned yes. that in your article. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I have three daughters. The last, you know, five or six years of my life have been a blur, not only from drinking too much, but from the fact that I was just nine months pregnant when I got pregnant with what I thought was my second child, turned out to be my second and my third. Wow. And oh so my I remember <laughs> when I had twins come along and I had just been laid off. So it was a mess. It mm. felt like, you know, it's, I think there's a saying like sometimes when things are, seem like they're falling apart, they're actually coming together. It's a perfect example of that. Cause I thought we were just, just fucked. That's what I said when I found out it was twins. I didn't find out until I was halfway through my pregnancy that there was two babies. Wow. And I turned to my husband and I, literally said we're fucked because I had just been laid off the previous Friday and it was the following Tuesday um so uh you know I had a, a a mom of twins tell me you are in for a very challenging five years and I loved that she told me that she gave it to me straight she was ahead of me on the path and she was looking back going five years babe hunker down and she was right because my twins are five now and and things are getting so much easier but man was that a rough ride and we had every advantage you know I mean you know <laughs> we had every advantage and it was really tough so yeah now did your do you feel did you feel like your drinking amped up when they were you know once you had them and had them breastfed and all that or what I'm just I'm assuming that you breastfed you may not have but once you got them I don't know past toddler did you did your drinking at amp up at all yeah so my twins were exclusively pinot grigio fed for the first right via my breast milk no not really mm -hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. Up, but it definitely gave me more permission you know people would look at me and go oh my god is your plate full right i you know would anybody question yeah you drink if if you would drink too if you were me yes it just, you get I, through it was, that 
Right. I gave myself permission and other people gave me permission and just looking and going, gosh, that's, you know, wow, that's crazy. So I think that I definitely accepted my drinking more as a coping mechanism. I'm thinking back to a picture I have of myself in those early months of nursing twins. My mom was at my house every day helping. And I have a picture of me at 10 in the morning with a glass of wine. And we thought it was hilarious. You know, it wasn't like, oh, God, she's circling the drain. We thought it was so funny. Yeah. And truly, in that moment, I thought, this is justified because I'm trying to nurse twins and it's just crazy. Um, But yeah, there was definitely more permission given just based on my life circumstances when maybe it should have been like, wow, I need to be even more present and even more intact to survive these first five years. I'm surprised I did with the drinking that I did. I'm surprised that I came out healthy and whole. (laughs) It could have been much different. For sure. I, yeah, I drank a lot. I drank a lot. Um, I wasn't, my son was a surprise and I wasn't ready to have a baby. So, um, and I had postpartum. And so I kind of, I remember the first night I didn't come home when he was, gosh, I'd have to investigate this, but you know, six to nine months old and my husband, I came home to get like something and I was like, I'm going to stay the night at my friend's house. Um, can you pick me up in the morning? And he's like, what? Right. Like, what do you, what? You just went to martini night, you're drunk. And then you're going to leave this baby here with me, which he could totally handle. And I was like, yeah, I didn't, you know, in my mind, I know what I was doing subconsciously. Like, I didn't want, I didn't want a baby. You signed up for this. You were really excited. So here you go. And I'm going to go have some fun with some ladies and do silly things and do high kicks and have a dance party. And then I'm going to be, look like hell when you pick me up tomorrow morning and hate myself. And I did that for so long, you know, my son's 15. So yeah, that, uh, You know, and then it's like, and when I come home, you're also going to be on duty because I'm going to be useless for a oh, yeah. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. was not too pleased. I will not forget that morning because that, that night, having that be the first time I did that, it wasn't the last time I did it, but it was the first time. And I remember feeling super, I did feel free. I did feel like a teenager. I did feel, I mean, I didn't drink when I was a teenager. So I felt like, oh, I'm, this is, this is how it's done. This is really silly. This is really fun. Um, and while it was funny and silly and all of that, gosh, what was underneath, you know, so being a new mom, it's really hard. Right. And I often had people ask me like, how do you get to go out so often? Right. Well, a, my husband is amazing and he's my anchor and he keeps things very stable and he's very grounded. Um, but I was still trying to act like I had that level of freedom. And I did, I mean, I did have that level of freedom, but I was certainly trying to prove something. In retrospect, I think I was trying to prove that, you know, I'm still fabulous. I'm still fabulous, you know? Right, mm-hmm. I get it, I get it. not a great goal to have, you know, um, necessarily, but I certainly made it look good um i think people were just astounded that i had the energy and that i could fit into cute jeans and that i could go out and it made people feel like why why do you get to do that yeah Uh, and i think it's a my husband um made it possible to some degree and b i was driven i was driven to feel like something different i was driven to feel like somebody who was free right or that just didn't didn't have only one identification and that was mom right capital m yeah right i was not prepared for the stress of motherhood i don't think anybody ever is 
you know, they can tell you that, you know, it's like wearing your heart outside your body and your life changes forever and you'll never be the same. You can hear that, but until you experience it, there is nothing like motherhood to challenge who you think you are and what you're capable of, you know? Mm -hmm. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and now that, now that you quit drinking, um, or now that you're not drinking and, and you talked about your kids, we talk about it a lot too. We call it modeling a solution. Um, and it is, I feel like it's the best gift I've given my kid, the biggest gift I've given my kids, um, through my sobriety is that, you know, I at least can show them, you know, life has peaks and valleys and the solution for just pressing on and, and being resilient does not have to be alcohol. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, and my parents weren't huge drinkers when I was growing up, but I think that maybe I just wasn't equipped with more tools. Um, you know, now we can teach our kids about mindfulness. You know, kids do yoga. Right. <laughs> we can fill their toolbox. And also now I get to relearn what I love to do with my girls, you know, and they're at an age where they're easier to, to, to take out and about and so we're going to bust out as soon as spring arrives here in Minnesota for real, you know, we're going to have some fun together, like some real fun where I'm not drinking during it. Um, right. I'm not drinking the minute I get home from it. It's not just what I'm doing in between the time where I have a glass of wine in my hand. So I'm going to learn how to authentically enjoy my life right along with my kids, which I think is pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious. So you work full time, Kate, and you travel right? For your job, it sounds like? I do. I work full-time. Uh, my day job is a, a, mar- a content marketing manager, and which I love and um, keeps me busy. And I travel, you know, maybe once or twice a quarter, okay. sometimes more, sometimes less. So you're traveling, you're working full-time, you have three little ones, um, a supportive husband, and you're finding time to write. You know, I think that's important for our listeners because we talk about, I mean, I don't work full time um, outside the home and I go to school and I do things, but it's, I don't have this nine to five or I don't travel for work. And I want, you know, it, it probably looks pretty easy that I can make and create and do what I want and come out to my little funky studio. But for our listeners that work full time and that, that um, have little ones or just a more structured life, how do you carve out that time to write now? I'm still learning how, you know, a lot of times, because I also am a freelance writer, a copywriter, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times if I sit down to write, you know, I have a freelance assignment or I have my personal stuff and I will usually opt for my freelance assignment because I've got to get that done and I get paid for that and that has a deadline associated with it. So to be very honest with your audience, I'm still learning, you know, the, the article on elephant took me like a month. Um, and it was many revisions and, um, you know, so I, I don't have a discipline around writing yet, mm-hmm. but I intend to, I like um, that. where it's non-negotiable time that this is when I write, whether I'm inspired or not. I, I haven't built up that muscle yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. You're paying attention to it, right? You know that it's there and you know that it needs to be flexed for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, the reality is nobody's going to give you that permission. Nobody's going to carve out that time for you. Nothing is going to, none of your other obligations are going to slow down or quiet down. Um, 
so just like showing up on your yoga mat where you where you carve out that boundary around yourself on your yoga mat like nothing can touch me here it's the same thing with writing those other things that are priorities they're just not going to get done yeah for 2 hours and that is okay i have learned that nothing catastrophic happens <laughs> right if there's dishes left in the sink yeah nothing the house isn't going to fall down yeah, yeah, they'll be there. They'll be there when you. They'll be there waiting when you're done writing, and you're going to be so much more energized and whole, having created something. Um, so I'm still working on it. I, I I'm looking for advice and tips from anybody out there because I'm still working on really applying self discipline to the writing process, but also being patient because I want everything now. I want to be amazing right oh, now. Oh yeah, I know. I book deal right now. I want 10 pounds gone right now. I want everything perfect now. And that's not how life is. So I'm also flexing my patience muscle, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is important. Yeah. Well, we're going to have hopefully some ladies on. We have, we've been thinking about this idea, you know, just talking about this more, this conversation of full-time working ladies and how do you carve out that time to be creative how do you how do you honor yourself in that way and and tap right. into and tap into that to that um to tap into that work yeah right. think, with it, without it cutting into your sleep because right. yeah. <laughs> sleep is i'm sorry hands down the most important thing i do <laughs> no you're right and you sleep so well as a non-drinker like that yes for me the fact that i'm sleeping for the first time in 20 yes, years yes i know we understand so I don't that up too quickly. I love getting into bed at eight o'clock. The minute my daughters shut their beautiful eyes, I am in bed and I love that. And hopefully it won't always be that way. But for now, in these early months of non-drinking and likely some healing is going on um, throughout my system, I think that's OK. But what I do do religiously for any writers listening or aspire or aspiring writers is morning pages, probably you guys are aware of or have heard of the artist way it's Mm -hmm. very well known so morning pages i do pretty much without fail so i can say that i write every day i write well see that's the thing and that is writing that is writing and you 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 will you possibly will call things from that when you set about to you know write your intentional thing it's true. It counts. Those three pages count. So they certainly count. I didn't write a beautiful blog that's complete and ready to be published that day, but I wrote my morning pages and that matters. Give yourself credit. Yes. Exactly. Yep. I agree. Well, you are working on a project and um, we want to hear about it. I want you to tell us about it. It's called Shelastic. Is that, did I say that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Can you tell us about it, where you got the name, what what it's going to be? The name just showed up and just stuck maybe like a year and a half or two years ago. I don't know where it came from. Um, it just, it came to me and it stuck. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. But, um, you know, it's going to be storytelling, uh, primarily focused on women in the first stages anyways. And what I really want to get at is uh, the way that women... Um, expand to to hold all that there is you know it's less about you know the imagery for shelastic it's less about something being stretched beyond its limits and then snapping and breaking and being broken it's more about this expansion like if you think about a balloon expanding and i think that Mm -hmm. women have the market cornered on expansion like that we can expand to encompass ever more 
stuff in life. And I want to tell the stories that showcase how women do that so naturally and so beautifully and so gracefully and so often so hilariously, which is really what I like. <laughs> is the humor that comes from resilience, from true resilience. So it's going to be storytelling, women's stories. I might um, join you all in the podcasting universe at some point, but, you know, in the near term, it's going to be blogging and um, just sharing stories of totally kick-ass, expansive, resilient women. I love that. Do you... Uh, so when you say expansive, are you talking about women who um, aren't just don't wear one hat but several? I'm just picturing like a woman that we like to call, you know, multi-passionate or yeah. a renaissance woman. And I think that's most women that I that I know. It is. It it, it totally is. It because totally we is. Just we aren't just one thing, especially. If we are wives and moms and sisters and right, yeah, it's it's that, and it's also the idea that we expand to accommodate what happens to us. Um, True. When something not great happens, I feel like women in particular have a capacity to integrate it in a way that's very positive and very beautiful and very inspiring for others. So you expand. It's like, you know, how you go to the playground and you kind of keep an eye on all the kids. Mm, yeah. yeah. You know, it's that idea that women are looking out for everybody and everything. Except and for that one little kid that's the asshole. Except for yeah, that one. <laughs> Sorry. You had it coming. He kind of, you know, I kind of want to fight him now because he's being to my kid. <laughs> that's all. I'll just think that <laughs> quietly. And that's when my judge pants are on. Did you feel him? Did you feel him? Did you see him? Oh, well, those are... Okay, I have the playground um, edition. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So, there, yeah. so you're familiar. You're, you're, you're familiar with it. Okay, good. Absolutely. Absolutely. The idea that we walk around, we go through life really genuinely giving a shit about other people. And yeah. we expand to encompass them in love. We do. That's what women do. That's how, that's how we are. And so I feel like the women in my life who have... Um, met something that would be very negative, whether it's illness or the death of a spouse or something else, the women that I know are have expanded to integrate that experience versus retreating into something small and cold and, and, and less loving. There may be phases along the way after something bad happens where you do retract and recede into yourself and into your into your own head. But the women that I know for the most part have just gone, you know, yes. And what else, you know, what else does life have for me? And they expand to integrate it. And then they always share the wisdom to lift the rest of us up. Mm, yeah. I like that. It's almost like, uh, the no, or yeah. When life presents a, a, a no, that can be a door to something new or something else. Right. Absolutely. And I just, there's women, you know, in my life who have just become bigger and stronger and better. It's not just a cliche. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like I see it in my friends and in people that, um, that I'm just acquaintances with even. So I really want to get at that. That's where I want to spend a lot of my time is in that space where women talk about, look, this shit happened to me. And, and not like a, 
not like a before and after, like this happened to me and then it was bad and now I'm all better, ta-da, like yay, ta-da, like new me, that's not at all where I want to go with this. It's more about, you know, women who recognize the gifts that come from shitty things happening and it just made them more expansive and more loving and more, more amazing. Yeah, I'm so surprised by life. You know, that I think we hear, um, or I hear in the rooms, um, you know, a lot of times people will use the term a, a grateful alcoholic. And when I first started going, I was like, you people are just so dumb. Because again, judge pants. And then, um, you know, that I'm like now the lady that's like, I'm just a grateful, I'm so grateful this happened to me <laughs> because I wouldn't have this life I have right now. I wouldn't be having these experiences. I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't be working with Sandra. I wouldn't be going back to school. I wouldn't I wouldn't have this quality of life that I have right now if I didn't have that awakening, if I didn't have that dawning, if I didn't have that, um, that drinking was the thing that got me here. I can be grateful for that. And you're right, the expansiveness that I, I witness in women too. You're right. And, and women who are, who are, who don't have alcohol in their lives, it's interesting. It's just such this beautiful catalyst for them to start stepping into their, who they're supposed to be. And we've been right. seeing it a lot, Sandra, right? I mean, every woman we have on the show, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Well, and you know what I find interesting about it too? It's, it's almost like it's easier to talk about it in hindsight, you know, like when you're over the thing, past the thing, like, oh, that happened. But now, you know, a year later, I can see that it was such a blessing and I can have this gratitude. Um, but when I was in it, it fucking sucked. Um, <laughs> right. But, but I think what you're doing and what's helpful is when you can read other people's stories. So like you're in it, but then you read a beautiful story of somebody who, you know, with their gift of hindsight can say, I did this and, and, and th th these are the blessings or this is, this is my gratitude. And, um, you know, it can definitely help, help you know, I can see how it would help help anyone who could read those types of stories. Um, it, you know, the women that are in it at the moment. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I think about, you know, the, the things that I've read when I needed someone to shine the light for me. You know, someone who was ahead of me on the path, shining the light, yeah. saying, keep going. Um, you're going to be okay. Uh, it's time for me to contribute to that because there are many women who have been courageous and brilliant enough to write things that have kept me going. And so now I want to join that um, and, and pay it forward. It's an it's act of service. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. you know, it's the other thing with creativity, um, you know, in sobriety or recovery, it, it makes sense to me because it's a way to be of benefit. And a lot of us suffer and drink because we don't feel like we are of benefit and we want so much to mm. heal the world and to love everyone um yeah. and so we suffer because we feel other people's pain and we genuinely give a shit and you know unless you do something with that compassion that too can turn on you and make you very sick yeah right oh i'm excited for you so when is all this when do you yeah. think this is all gonna be out in the world your your oh. website and stuff well, the website is is um, underway. It's under construction currently. I'm guessing um, the spring or early summer of 2018 things will go live. But um, people can follow me at Shelastic 
on Instagram and the website, um, shelastic.com. That will be up and running over the next handful of weeks. So it's very exciting. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where I don't have all the answers in terms of what it's going to be, but I'm going to start and I'm going to be led and I'm going to see how it unfolds. I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to start. That's so true. It's so true. That is such a good message because that's exactly, you don't have to know what the end's going to look like. You just have to start. Right. So we did. Yep, that's definitely what we did. Spirituality comes into play with that for me in terms of I also didn't write like I maybe should have been writing all those years that I was just busy. You know, I was successful in my day job and stuff, but um, I thought that I had to have the whole book in my head figured out. Right. (laughs) Right. No, no, you can do a book proposal. (laughs) You can have a great idea in your head. Yeah. But that's intimidating. And so what I've understood as a non-drinker and through, you know, my spiritual practice and studies is that all I have to do, I kind of liken it to a meeting spot. All I have to do is show up at the meeting spot. Right. And I'll be met there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I have been. And then it flows. Like you guys know when you're in the zone or in the flow, like you don't know. And I've heard people on your show talk about this, even Sam Lamott, who I just listened to talk about like, this is not coming from me. It's coming through me. I know Martha Beck right. says like this is not coming from my consciousness that I know of. I'm just a tool. I love that idea because it takes the pressure off. It it creates a partnership with you and spirit or you and muse or whoever. All you got to do is show up with a pen in your hand or a computer right. in front of you and then get quiet and then let go and then things happen. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for you. This is wonderful. What a great. And hopefully by the time this airs, you'll, um, I know I went to your website. I know it's under construction, but hopefully, you know, all, you know, I want our listeners to definitely pop over and check it out and definitely follow you on Instagram because then they, they will know what's up, right? And when things go live. That's right. Okay. And I'm going to be a meme machine. So if you like- <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it's on. It is on. Okay. I don't know how to make memes, so I'm totally going to follow you and make sure that I just share yours because I don't know how to do that. It is the only way that I will ever accomplish even like the remotest semblance of visual art in my life. I cannot cannot paint. I cannot do any of those things, but memes, you know, there's some good apps. You can, you can do a decent. Yeah, you're uh, right. Anyone can make it. And I can't. So see, yeah, (laughs) we all have our talents. We all have our special gifts. It's great. (laughs) Oh, well we, we have to kind of, um, wrap this up. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. But we want to chat about your toolbox. If you wouldn't mind sharing, this is the part of the show where we share, have our listeners, or have you share three things with our listeners that help you kind of stay on this path of not drinking. And, and um, we were just wondering if you'd share those with us. Absolutely. So I love this. And I love building my toolbox. And I love looking into other people's toolboxes. (laughs) I heard it to add to my own. Um, number one is yoga, 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 yoga. Like I talked about earlier. Um, it's just like the antidote to the gym, you know? Um, it's, I have such a different relationship with it than I did with the gym. Like the the gym, I used to be undoing whatever I did the night before, whether it was drink or food or both. Um, Mm. yoga, I don't have that same relationship with, and it has just been just such a, it's just been my church. It's just been the place where I come in with all my shit and I leave just pure and clear and clean and content and quiet. So yoga is so key, no matter if you start at home with an app, 10 minutes a day, or you go to, I love core power yoga. I'm not being paid by them, but I am a a huge fan of core power. Um, 
I've had a great experience there. So yoga, number one. Number two, which I just figured out like a couple weeks ago, even though it's been widely understood, the power of your thoughts. And so I would call the second tool thought awareness. Down to the individual thought. Pay attention to every thought that comes through your head. I had to do this over a weekend so that I could literally just sit and pay attention to what was coming through. And I used to think that negative thinking was just negative self-talk, like I'm a piece of shit, I'm not good enough. It can also be disaster thinking. And those of us who are creative often have very powerful imaginations. And I found out that part of what had made me suffer over the years and part of what I drank about was that I can live in any disaster in my head. And we experience that because of the way that we're built as humans, we experience that as though it's really happening. So, for instance, I'm sitting on my couch. All of a sudden, I'm picturing a plane crash in my head. (laughs) It's not relevant to what I'm doing. It comes out of nowhere. And previously, I would go down that rabbit hole and actually try to figure out what I would do and how I would survive and all of that shit. Now I stop it right in its tracks. And I picture myself blowing a bunch of black smoke into a balloon. And then I drop the balloon and I walk away. I do not indulge disastrous terrible terrifying thoughts anymore i have Mm -hmm. gotten very very um observant and vigilant about those thoughts and i don't indulge them anymore so i saved myself all that suffering just with my imagination did you know that it's like a psychological condition um there's a term for it even catastrophic thinking (laughs) i've no that's so funny that you say that i've used yeah before but I didn't know that it was already a term that's awesome Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is you can google it um I can I can go down that path as well and I have to um it's one of those things where if you try to resist it it you know like don't think of pink elephants and then you know you can't stop thinking about pink elephants so yeah it's like one of those things where you're on to something by blow the visualization of blowing it into a balloon and letting it go because it's like the more you push back on it the yeah. the more you become consumed with it and, and instead you just sort of kind of let it come and say okay I see you you know we're not going to die here sitting on the couch a plane's not going to come through the roof <laughs> we're all okay <laughs> and I you know that one. I've pictured that one yeah Plane crashing on just my house you know everything happens to me my house right just your house. Um, you know all those people on the plane blah 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 but my house um <laughs> <laughs> but you're but that's exactly that's exactly right i am acknowledging it right being friends with it i'm acknowledging it and then i'm putting it right back out there i'm not letting it rattle around in me i put it right back out there it can go bother somebody else it's not gonna be right. me so you know, I did that over a weekend recently and I had to literally like move really slowly and do very little around my house because I wanted to feel these things coming in and face them head on and go, what are you? Why are you here? Now, piss off. You have nothing to do with me right now. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, thought yeah. That's and a good one. Of your own catastrophic thinking. I mean, you know, if you go through a day and you picture a couple plane crashes, you know, losing a kid or two, your marriage falling apart by the end of that day. I mean, I'm definitely looking down the barrel of a Pinot Grigio bottle. Because oh, for sure. So terrifying. Well, and it, it really it, it it works for that. It 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 tamps it down. Um, yeah, I didn't realize what a catastrophic thinker I could be until I got sober. And I was like, oh, wow, I do this. I can go there a lot. Yep. And um, yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? 
Right. And then you realize how much you've been suffering because that right. body and your you, your body doesn't know the difference between something you imagine and something that's really happening. So exactly. Yeah, we end up doing a lot of damage and, and living our lives. And that is what I've been doing is living my life in fight, flight, freeze, you know, when right. it's not relevant to what's happening in reality. So right. that's, that's really um, it's really helping me shift. That's a good one. Right. And then my third is grounding. Um, my friend Emily Hall, she's a fantastic healer and practitioner. Um, her website is emilyhallislistening.com. She taught me how to ground and it changed my life. It reduced my anxiety down to basically nothing. Um, so I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it. I, from a quick visualization standpoint, I was taught to picture a small red dot in my root or like uterus area. You picture a small red dot and you focus on the dot. You close your eyes, take a breath, focus on a small red dot. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it expands. And then from that, from that sphere that you're picturing, you drop a cord of energy down to the earth. You picture the earth beneath you. You drop a cord of energy down to the earth and you feel that cord of energy snap in like a seatbelt. And then you take a cord of energy from that same sphere and you send it up into what you picture as maybe like kind of a pearly glowing ball above your head and your energy snaps in there like a seatbelt. And so like Emily says, from source to source, you are connected earth source and heaven source. You are connected. And it's just incredible what it does. I like that. There's a Kundalini practice and I can't remember what it's called, but it's a breathing practice where you do that same thing where you kind of shut off your, um, the your core you shut off your your first chakra basically mm -hmm. your first second and third chakra and then you take a breath and you shoot it up out of your head through yep. visualization yeah I love that I love doing it it actually does feel good you're right it feels good you feel strapped in you feel connected you feel held you feel like you go from kind of spinning out in the wind to being very connected um, and I do that several times a day and it changed. It's just changed. She told me, Emily told me this is going to change your life. And it really did. I, you know, and there's all sorts of visualizations you can use. I had someone else liken it to picture a tree trunk coming out of your lower back and going into the earth so that you're just so rooted in earth source. Um, so there's all different ways to picture it, mm -hmm. but it's a simple thing that's always available in traffic at work. You know, putting the kids to bed, you can you can click in to heaven and earth anytime you want. And it, it definitely changes how you feel. Yeah. What's, what's her website again? Emily Hall is listening dot com is listening dot com. That's great. I just did it while you were talking. That was awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was listening, but <laughs> I was doing it, too. I see. <laughs> I was like, what is she guiding me right now in this meditation? Awesome. OK, I'll do this. <laughs> no, that's good. That's helpful. Cool. Yeah, it's a mind body spirit connection thing. I think exercise, I think that's technically what you're doing and and yeah, it it, it does. It does make you feel better. Makes you feel really really good. Right. And Emily likened it to, you know, Mother Earth wants you to basically this is not like a commentary on like littering or like being a jerk about environmental stuff, but Mother Earth wants you to dump <laughs> your troubles and when you ground you connect with mother earth you connect with earth source who wants to cleanse you of your noise and your sadness and your everything all the things you want to leave behind and so it's sort of like saying here i am 
heaven and earth, here I am. It's sort of like you reestablish your connection to those two sources. And you say, here I am, and you sort of brighten your signal, and then you receive all this good stuff. That's such a great reminder. Um, I, I do a grounding exercise that Jolene Park, who was one of our guests on our show, I took a workshop with her. And um, she did a grounding. It was different, but it's, I've been doing it. But it is. It's touching the earth. It's taking your shoes and your socks off and touching the ground. Finding a focal point to stare at. Putting one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. Mm-hmm. And I used to close my eyes and go under the covers when I'd have an anxiety attack. But now I've been doing this. Um, and I'm now I'm going to try this other one um, that your friend Emily suggested. But it really does help. It hasn't totally minim. I mean, it hasn't taken away the anxiety attack, but it does minimize it. And it starts, it's less. So it's very right. helpful. And if you build it into your daily life, you know, you'll prevent the anxiety. You might have yeah. prevent the anxiety attack. I have used it in the in the midst of anxiety. And like you said it relieves it it doesn't completely remove it but the yeah. more i do it regularly the less anxiety i suffer with like preventative um grounding yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like that yeah i like totally. that oh kate thank you so much for coming on today yeah, thank you kate Such you a pleasure. are i love your energy yeah. yeah all the gratitude back to you both you're doing very wonderful work and this is like i said it's a privilege and a joy that um I was able to talk with you guys. So oh. thank you both. Well, thank you well, so and, much. And good luck with your project. And we will help promote it as much as we can. Oh, I would love it. Thank you. Thank you very much. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening. Hello, Unruffled listeners. So we have produced a year's worth of content and have approximately 125,000 downloads to date. We can hardly believe it. We would like to give you, our listeners, the opportunity to help us continue to put out quality, meaningful content, but we have a big ask. We are both mothers and creative soulmates. We are multi-passionate and have many projects going on at once and feel like this is the right time to ask for some support. We talk a lot on our show about valuing your creative work and it's time we walk our talk. This is where you come in. So we've set up a Patreon account, and your generous Patreon donations will help us to pay for hosting fees, better equipment, and assist us in our dedication to keep showing up here every week. In the future, we hope to take our show on the road and offer creative workshops in select cities across the United States, maybe even interview a few of our guests in person. In order to make any of this happen, we foresee the need to generate some revenue from the show. We believe that our listeners want to support us, so we're hoping that you can help us make these dreams become a reality. Our ask isn't huge. We're some sensible girls, right? We're really just asking for a dollar pledge per episode. That's $4 a month, less than a large decaf vanilla latte from Starbucks. A total steal, if you ask me. We love to offer some perks in the future, but first we need to get this campaign off the ground. We can circle back and check with you all later in the year to see what, if any, perks sound good to you. 
And we're just so grateful for our listeners. And we hope that we continue to earn your support. You can find our campaign on patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thanks, guys.